You may open your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus chapter 34. And we want to consider the forgiveness of sins before we come to the Lord's table. There is no doubt to any Bible reader that the God of the Bible is the great and dreadful God. The great and terrible God. It is easy to find the account of the flood in which He suffocated the entire human race for their sins and wickedness, except for Noah and his immediate family. But brethren, the Apostle Paul, when he gave us 1 Timothy 1.17 earlier this morning, when the Apostle Paul said, Now unto the King Eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. When he said that, he was saying it in light of that God's grace. And it is our blessed privilege to know God as our Father who has forgiven us and is the God of all grace. Not just the great and dreadful God or the great and terrible God. He is that indeed. But He is not that to us. He is our Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ taught us by many examples in which were said, Thy sins be forgiven thee. Go in peace. And brethren, that's what we have when we come to the supper that's laid out before us. Of the wine and the bread to represent what our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. Thy sins are forgiven. Go in peace. What a blessed situation we are in. It's called the glorious gospel of the blessed God. Moses, in Exodus chapter 32, came down from Mount Sinai and saw the nation worshiping a golden calf. In righteous indignation, he destroyed the two tablets of stone that were in his hands that God had given him with the Ten Commandments. He took that golden calf and ground it to powder and made the Israelites drink it. Then they girded on their swords and went and killed their nearest relatives and best friends that were involved in that golden calf worship. It's where we have the, the statement, Who is on the Lord's side? In Exodus chapter 33, Moses feeling vulnerable, a leader of a disobedient, rebellious people, including his brother, he asked the Lord to show him his glory. If you really care about me, show me your glory. If you're really going to go with me and help me, show me your glory. And you can read the last half of Exodus 33 and find out that God said, No man can see my glory and live. However, I'll show you a little look at my backsides. I'll hide you in a cleft of the rock, and I'll pass by before you, and I'll declare the glory of the name of the Lord. You want to know what it is? That's what I want to preach about to you for a few minutes. Amen. Here is the glory of the Lord. Right. Exodus chapter 34 and verse 5. Exodus 34, 5, And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. 
And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. And that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. You want to see the glory of God? The glory of God is a great and dreadful and holy and just being that forgives sin, transgression, and iniquity. Praise His glorious name. This is the glorious gospel of the blessed God. The glory of God is not His power. The glory of God is not thundering in vengeance on Mount Sinai when the whole mountain quaked and it was being consumed by a fire. The glory of God is that He is merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Keeping mercy. I'm glad that He keeps mercy for me. Because if He were ever to let mercy go, I have no relationship with Him. Because I'm a sinner, saved by that mercy. This is the glory of God. He forgives sinners. David was a member of the household of faith. David was a church member. David was a pastor, if you'll let me use that, those words. He was a prophet. He was the king over God's people. He was the psalmist. He led songs, wrote songs, wrote psalms, led psalms, prophesied of the Lord Jesus Christ, and was a great king. God blessed him abundantly. God took him from following sheep, helped him kill Goliath, replace Saul, and put him on the throne of Israel. He committed aggravated adultery and murder. It's aggravated adultery because of the way the Lord presented the case to him. After he had taken Bathsheba, the wife of one of his best friends, Uriah the Hittite, one of his thirty chosen men, The Lord sent Nathan the prophet to him. And Nathan the prophet told a precious Bible story in which a poor man that only had one little ewe lamb and loved that little ewe lamb like a daughter, slept with him in bed, loved that little lamb. A rich neighboring farmer that had many sheep, when he had a guest come, instead of taking from his own abundance and of the many sheep in his flocks, He went down and found that little poor farmer that had that one little ewe lamb and took and slew that little ewe lamb for his guest. Nathan the prophet is telling this story in 2 Samuel chapter 12. One chapter after the sordid details of David and Bathsheba. As as Nathan works to the close of his story, David is furious. David is angry. David said, The man shall die for a ewe lamb. 
the man shall die, and he'll restore fourfold the land that he took from the poor man. And then David got that finger in his face from Nathan. Thou art the man. Now, do you want to see the glory of God? The glory of God was not to incinerate David on the spot. The glory of God was this transaction that took place. It's 2 Samuel 12, 13. I'm just going to read one verse. 2 Samuel 12, 13. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto David, The Lord also hath put away thy sin. Thou shalt not die. That is the glory of God. David had just signed his own death warrant, hadn't he? He had been told a story by Nathan the prophet that only involved sheep. And he said, kill him. Aren't we terrible? Kill him for a sheep. But the Lord said, thou shalt not die. The glory of God is not doing what men think is just. The glory of God is being greater than that justice through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. I tell you the glorious gospel of the blessed God. Amen. How long is this transaction? I find it in one verse. I find Nathan speaking, Thou art the man. I find David saying, I have sinned against the Lord. I have Nathan immediately forgiving him. This is the glory of God. And this is the glory of that supper. He signed his own death warrant. But God was greater than his death warrant. I hope you love the God of the Bible. He is a great and dreadful God to those that want to live in sin. He is a loving Heavenly Father, keeping mercy and covenant, long-suffering, full of gracious and mercy, and forgiving sin and transgression and iniquity. We can read about Ahab and Manasseh and find out that God was merciful to them as well. Manasseh was probably the most wicked king that Judah ever had. And yet when Manasseh humbled himself, and he said he humbled himself greatly, the Lord restored him out of the prison of Babylon and put him back on his throne because the Lord is gracious. I read about a woman that that came to Jesus when he was sitting in the house of Simon the Pharisee. Everyone knew she was a sinner. She bathed the feet of our Lord Jesus Christ with her tears and kisses and wiped them with the hairs of her head. In her grief for her sin and her love of a Savior. And he said, thy sins are forgiven thee. Go in peace. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the glory of our God. And that is why we have the Lord's Supper. I read of a trembling woman hauled by men before the Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 8, guilty of adultery. Jesus ignored them. And then He told them that whoever was without sin should cast the first stone. They being convicted by their own consciences from the oldest to the youngest left until there were only two people standing there, Jesus and the woman. Woman, where are thine accusers? I have none, Lord. Neither do I accuse thee. 
Go in peace. Sin no more. That is the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, we love Him on a white horse with His sword drawn. But brethren, when our Lord Jesus Christ is on His white horse with His sword drawn, He's in front of us, leading us to victory, not coming against us. Amen. He's going against the wicked. He's going against His enemies. He's sheltering us because we're behind Him. I want Him out in front. I don't mind reading in that passage that I'm on a white horse behind Him because that's where I want to be. I like the white horse. I like the army. But I don't want to be in the front. I want Him out there because I want to be behind Him. That is a safe place to be because He's forgiven us and He's put us citizens of His nation. Brethren in His family. Members of His army. The forgiveness of sins. Jesus has the power to forgive sins. And Jesus forgives sins freely, fully, and finally. You know, this morning when I dealt with Saul of Tarsus, Saul of Tarsus was ignorant in unbelief. David was not ignorant in unbelief. David was selfish and presumptuous in his lusts. But we've covered them both with the Word of God, haven't we? God had mercy toward Saul of Tarsus. His exceeding abundant grace gave Saul of Tarsus faith and love to totally change his life. And the forgiveness of sin, transgression, and iniquity forgave David. You are covered, brothers and sisters. If you have sinned in ignorance, you are covered. If you have sinned presumptuously, you are covered by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is to give up resentment or anger or punishment for something. To give it up and say, I'm not going to do that. That's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is to pardon, to clear, or to acquit someone. You're not guilty anymore. Forgiveness is to forget to overlook and to ignore something we've done. I'm telling you, brethren, one second after you die, you are going to love the forgiveness of sins if you're one of God's elect. One second, you'll wish that you had come back and been a little more excited about hearing a few minutes of it. On September 25th, 2005, this supper that we're about to partake of here below me, is something for which you ought to be thankful. There is forgiveness with the Lord. Full, free, and final forgiveness. It's glorious. It's His glory. And we look at His shed blood, and we look at that, we hold that cup, and it should be our blood. David said, let him be put to death. But the Lord said, no, I'll put my own son to death. It should be our body that's torn. If any of you were God or if I were God, we would be like David. We would tear the human race to shreds. But the torn body is that of the Lord Jesus Christ in our place. For the sinful woman that was at Simon's supper. For the woman taken in adultery. For Peter. For Saul of Tarsus. For David. For Manasseh. And for all the others that were forgiven their sins. Oh, to face the great and dreadful God 
and know that He's our Father and that His Son has paid for our sins. You are forgiven. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. What a difference. He will not acquit or clear the guilty. He remembers the transgression of fathers to the third and the fourth generation. But he forgives all his elect. And he forgives all those that repent and confess their sins. David said, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan said, the Lord hath forgiven thee. You ask me, how can it be so easy? It wasn't easy. It took the death of the Son of God. You say, don't I have to do something to add to what Jesus did? Are you kidding? Anything you could add would just spoil it. He paid the full price for your sins. Every ounce. All of it. You don't add anything. The way He wants us to come to Him is at His feet like the woman in Simon's house. And that's what we want to do right now is come to Him at His feet and beg for mercy. There is mercy with the Lord. The forgiveness of sins is one of the great messages of the glorious gospel of the blessed God. Where does it come from? Where does forgiveness begin and where is its root? It is in heaven before the world began. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. It is not in you. It's not because you didn't sin as badly as others. It's not because after He showed you His grace, you were such a perfect Christian. It's because I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth, but of God that showeth mercy. He chooses to have mercy. And he chose Saul of Tarsus. He chose David. And he chose Mary Magdalene and others. It began before the world. But it was paid for in time. We don't have a supper for the eternal phase of salvation. We don't have a supper for the vital phase of salvation. We have a supper for the legal phase of salvation. Because that's when God's Son came and took all our sins upon Him and died as a substitute under the wrath of God. There is a great and dreadful God and He hates all sin and all sinners and He punishes all sin and sinners. And do you know how we were punished? In the form of His Son. Here's what it says in the Word of God in Isaiah 53. But it pleased the Lord to bruise Him. The great and dreadful God injured His Son. He pounded Him. If you don't think it's a pounding, would you explain to me why He was sweating, as it were, great drops of blood before He ever got to His trial and crucifixion? The Lord pounded him, just as we know that sin deserves. But there's forgiveness with the Lord because Jesus Christ came and stood in our place. No wonder that woman that was a sinner wanted to be at his feet. No wonder she kissed them. No wonder she cried all over them. No wonder she dried them with the hairs of her head. No wonder she wanted to anoint him. How thankful are we. There's a legal phase of salvation and it's glorious. And it washes away all your sins. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. But it pleased the Lord to bru- bruise him. 
if you don't think that the great and dreadful God pounded the Lord Jesus Christ, why did He cry out in anguish, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? Because He was being pummeled with God forsaking Him. The dogs of hell were barking about Him. Men were against Him. His own disciples had left Him. And all of our sins were cast upon Him. He was guilty for the first time in His life. For you and for me. So that we could have the forgiveness of sins. So that the great and dreadful God that must punish sin can say, come here my child. And give us an abundant entrance into our everlasting kingdom. Because of what Jesus Christ did. I tried to tell you earlier this day, because of Saul of Tarsus being the chiefest of sinners, that your sins can never be so great to keep you out of heaven or to discourage you when running to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me give you another passage. Beginning at verse 9 in 1 Corinthians 6, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. Those sins are enough to send you to hell forever. Cannot inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. There were in the church at Corinth adulterers, fornicators, sodomites, extortioners, thieves and drunkards. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Amen. Amen. Forgiven and sins washed away. They were guilty of all those sins that would cast a soul to hell, but they were wa- that guilt was washed away by the blood of Jesus Christ because they were forgiven. That's the legal phase. It is so thorough that the Bible says, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Why do you want to lay something to your charge? You melancholies? Who gave you that devilish thought? The Spirit of God didn't give you that devilish thought. You're thinking it in your own depraved heart. Give it up. You're washed. Your sins are forgiven you. Go in peace, is what the Savior would say. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It was so thorough that the accuser of the brethren was cast out of heaven at the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. Satan had been there for 4,000 years. He was there accusing Job in Job chapter 1 and 2. But in Revelation 12.10, he's no longer there. He's cast down because a price had been paid for our sins and there wasn't anything he could lay to our charge. What could he accuse us of? Jesus Christ had already paid for it. Our sins were forgiven. His weren't forgiven, but ours were forgiven. Give glory to the glorious God. He forgave us our sins, but not the devil his sins. And cast the devil out of heaven, because we overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. 
There's a practical phase for our forgiveness. I'm skipping the vital. The practical phase of our forgiveness is though our sins may be forgiven in heaven because Jesus Christ paid for them, when we sin as one of God's elect, it breaks the fellowship that we have with God. He is still our Father. But it breaks the fellowship. And every one of us know about this. Every one of us know when a relationship has been broken and the fellowship is strained, stressed, or it doesn't even exist. We know we're still in the relationship with someone. We know they're still our father or they're still our spouse or they're still our child. But the offense has come between us so that the affection, the warmth, the comfort, the security is no longer there. And that's the way it is with a child of God when they sin. Their relationship with their father grows cold because they've sinned. He withdraws his presence. The spirit is quenched. The spirit is grieved. And so we are cold. And you should know exactly what causes that. When you are dull or cold toward the things of God, it's because there's sin in your life. Confess your sins and seek the Lord, and you'll have a restoration of that excitement, love, and comfort from the Father. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. God forgave David because he confessed his sin. I have sinned against the Lord. You and I would say... One sentence is not enough. David should have had to suffer for months or for years. Look at what he did. The Lord hath forgiven thee. Thou shalt not die. And you go read Psalm 51 and you read about David asking the Lord not to take the Holy Spirit away from him. To restore unto Him a right heart and a clean spirit. To bring back the joy of His salvation. And you know that prayer was answered. I hope you all know the Word of God well enough to know that prayer was answered. What a merciful God. Look at Isaiah chapter 1. We sang this a few minutes ago. Isaiah chapter 1. There is an eternal sense that before the world began, you were already seen as righteous in Jesus Christ. That is exciting. Before Adam was created, my name was in the book of life, your name was in the book of life, and we were righteous without sin, without blame, before Him in love. He loved us. Eternal phase of justification. Eternal phase of the forgiveness of sins. Then Jesus Christ literally, actually paid for them in real time 2,000 years ago. And rose again from the dead, showing that He had conquered everything that was against us. Death, hell, and sin. Conquered it. Then we're born again and given a righteous new nature that wants to please God. Every one of you that is born again in here knows exactly what I'm talking about. When I say there is a part of you that wants to serve the Lord with all-out zeal like our brother Paul. Where'd that come from? It was a benefit purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then when we sin, actually, in time, in our lifetimes, and we separate with God because of our foolishness or our rebellion, 
we can confess those sins and they're forgiven again. The blood of Jesus Christ just keeps on working and forgiving us from our sins. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. What is just about forgiving sins? It doesn't sound like justice to me. He paid for it. So He's got to forgive us. That's why He's faithful in remembering the price that's been paid for us. Look at this. Isaiah chapter 1. Now the Lord is not very happy with these people in Isaiah chapter 1. He calls them, ye rulers of Sodom, in verse 10, and ye people of Gomorrah. Those are not nice names to call a church. I want to give to you Verse 16. Look at what he says. Wash you. Make you clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land. But if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. We don't even need to worry about the last part of that, do we? Because we're not going to rebel, are we? The Lord says, come, let us reason together. Let's reason about my glory. Though your sins be as scarlet. That's rather red. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. That's rather white. Though your sins be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And that's wash wool. Come, let us reason together. There is forgiveness with the Lord. And do you know where that forgiveness was purchased? Right here. With the blood of the Son of God. He lived a perfect life and died a perfect death for you and me to pay for those sins so that God can forgive us that easily. So that God can say to a nation that was so wicked, He called them Sodom and Gomorrah, If you'll be willing and obedient, I'll wash your sins away until they're white as snow. No one in here need doubt. Cast yourself upon the Lord Jesus Christ and ask Him to forgive your sins. They are forgiven. Go in peace and rejoice. It's the glorious Gospel of the blessed God. Yes, the great God of heaven in thundering vengeance can destroy His enemies, but you are not His enemy if you'll repent. You're His child and He loves you and you are forgiven. When the Bible says His thoughts are not our thoughts and His ways are not our ways, His thoughts are higher than our thoughts and His ways higher than our ways, is that talking about IQ? That God is infinitely wise and we're almost infinitely ignorant? No, not at all. It's not talking about intelligence or wisdom. Go read the passage. you know what it's talking about? I forgive transgression and sin unlike you. That is glorious. That's why I love context, brethren. 
It's not a verse about God's wisdom. It's about His difference from me. David said, kill the man. God said, thou art forgiven. Thou shalt not die. That's why His ways are better than our ways. And for those of you that don't feel forgiven, it's because you need to leave your ways and your thoughts. Blow them out. Grab a hold of His thoughts. Do you know how merciful He is? Where are thine accusers? I have none, Lord. Neither do I accuse thee. Go and sin no more. Wow. You say it's too easy. I answered that once before. It wasn't easy. His Son died on the cross to pay to make it that easy. You say you like the phases of salvation, don't you, Pastor? I do. I do because it helps me see five facets of every aspect of our salvation from beginning to end. Do you know there's a forgiveness of sins that's yet coming? There's going to be books open, brethren, and they're not going to be pretty. We shall give an account of everything done in our bodies, whether it be good or evil. The books are going to be open. It's not going to be pretty. But another book is going to be open. It's going to be pretty. Amen. It's going to be pretty. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to say, His name is right here. Jonathan Carnell. Do you know what that... I can't even tell you about it. I don't even know how to tell you about it. When the books are open before a holy God, we will feel utterly condemned but for that book of life. But the more righteous lives we live, the more confidently we can stand in that day. The Bible does tell us we can stand confidently in that day. The Apostle Paul was not dreading that day. He was looking forward to it. He knew he had a crown of righteousness waiting for him because he had fought a good fight, kept the faith, and finished his course. What effect should this have on our lives? Brethren, I cannot leave without this, without a couple of reminders. The fact that God chose by His will to forgive your sins from before this world was even created, from the fact that He has forgiven you practically of all your sins to this point, that you have confessed, including the fact that He is going to declare to the universe that your sins are forgiven, while the angels that sin will not be forgiven, while He'll do that to the whole universe, He expects and teaches us that because of such forgiveness, we will forgive one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Do you know if we do not forgive, men, their trespasses against us. The Lord Jesus Christ said, Neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive you your trespasses. If the hand of God lays heavily on some men, it's because they're not forgiving. I urge you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all that God has done for us in forgiving us our sins, be the quickest to forgive anyone that trespasses against you. Don't be like Peter. Peter heard about forgiving his brother. Peter said, Lord, how many times should I forgive him? Seven times? I mean, if he does the same thing to me seven times, I have a right to get upset. I have a right to some vengeance. What did Jesus say? Seventy times seven, Peter. Four hundred and ninety 
And that is just an example. You're to perpetually forgive. And we've forgiven this morning, and we need to keep on forgiving. And we're going to celebrate this evening because we're going to love forgiveness. Because God has forgiven us. And we're going to get excited about it. And we're going to spend some money. And we're going to celebrate the forgiveness God has shown us and that we ought to show one another. Forgiveness is wonderful. Forgiveness is exciting. There shouldn't be any hard feelings in this assembly. If you have a hard feeling toward any brother in here, may God have that toward you until you repent of your wickedness. We have committed crimes against God that are infinitely greater than anything anyone has done toward another in here. And He forgives. We need to forgive. You know, when when Jesus told Peter, not seven Peter, but seventy times seven, then He described a certain king that had some servants. And He took account of one of His servants and found that He owed him ten thousand talents. Now, that's a lot of money, and I haven't calculated it for you. It doesn't matter. It's 10,000 talents. And he told the man that he was going to put him and his family into prison until he had paid all. And the servant begged for mercy. The king forgave him all the debt. But that servant went out and found another one of his friends, a fellow servant, that owed him a hundred pence. This is the Lord's, the Lord's storytelling is pretty good, isn't it? 10,000 talents. You know, you could buy the nation of Israel for it. 10,000 talents. He's forgiven freely of his debt because he begged for mercy. But he goes and finds a friend of his that owes him a hundred pence and lays his hands on his throat and says, pay me. You say, that's, that's terrible. Who haven't you forgiven fully and freely and finally in your heart and forgotten it? You're disgusting. You scum have been freely forgiven 10,000 talents and you're going to hold someone accountable for a hundred pence against you? You are so perverse I can't explain it except to say that I know all about it. Because I'm a sinner too. But let's wash away anything like that in all of our thoughts. We're going to get together again later today. And let's do it in peace and joy and love and hope and brotherly love. Because we've forgiven each other fully for anything that we've ever done to one another. This is the word of the Lord. At the end of that long story, Jesus said, So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not every one his brother their trespass. That's because that king did not like what he heard. The king had forgiven one servant. Then that servant went to extract that hundred pence. When the king heard about it, he delivered that man he had forgiven. He took back his forgiveness and delivered him to the tormentors. I don't want torment in any one of your lives. I don't want any torment in this church. Let's blow off the little tiny hundred pence things that we do to each other. And let's rejoice in the 10,000 talents that have been forgiven every one of us. And let's celebrate with a fatted calf in a few hours.
There are public offenses. Those I was just referring to are personal offenses. There are public offenses and we have to follow the God, follow the Word of God whenever we deal with public offenses. And we have followed the Word of God. And now we have these verses given to us that we're going to practice later this evening. They are 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. And I wish that you would all be excited with me about this supper that is going to be better than the supper we're going to have in a few hours and that we'll rejoice about the 10,000 talents because we've all been forgiven. Let's forgive each other. We have a little bit of business to do tonight. And it's 2 Corinthians 2, 6-8. through 8. We've really already done it this morning in our first service, but we want to keep doing it. And we want to do it in style. I'm thankful for this church. I'm thankful for your willingness to follow the Bible. We are doing something I've never heard of. And that is we are going to kill the fatted calf. And we are going to find the best robe, and we're going to put a ring on a hand. We're going to do it. You all know we're going to do it. It's not a surprise. Don't think that I've let the cat out of the bag. There's no bag and there's no cat. There's a robe and a ring. But we're excited about it. If the angels in heaven are rejoicing, what, are we, what should we get out of Luke 15? It's time for us to rejoice. Here, look at these words. 2 Corinthians 2, 6-8. through 8. It is exciting to follow the Word of God this closely. If the Bible says it, we're going to do it. And we're going to do it in style so that the Lord will be pleased because the Lord loves style. When David moved the Ark of the Covenant, what was his style? Did he send a salad home with everyone? A box of cereal? Beef jerky? Or did he send home a good piece of flesh, a flagon of wine and bread to every family in Israel? Would that cost a few dollars? That is David. Why do you think he's called the man after God's own heart? Because he loves to celebrate the goodness of God. And he did have a reason too, didn't he? Do any of you have reasons? You know I've got reasons. Do any of you have reasons? 2 Corinthians 2.6 Sufficient to such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted of many. That's the church judgment of the congregation against a public sinner. So that contrary wise, no more punishment, so that contrary wise, ye ought rather to forgive him and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one should be swallowed up with overmuch sorrow. Wherefore, I beseech you that ye would confirm your love toward him. Are those good verses? The Bible is not all negative. The Bible's gloriously positive. Comfort. Forgive and confirm love in a few hours. Are you all ready to do that? Do you know what it all comes from? Right here. The blood of Jesus Christ and His torn body that took the 10,000 talents off of us and delivered us away from the tormentor. Because, brethren, we had a tormentor waiting for us. And you know what that tormentor was? It wasn't the devil. We had a tormentor called the justice and holiness of a righteous God. That was a tormentor. And the 10,000 talents have been taken off us, and we ought to want to celebrate forgiving. Can you forgive everyone their personal offenses, and can you get ready for this evening?
I don't care what your past is. Paul wrote the church at Corinth. Listen, Corinth was worse than Vegas. There is no, there is no city in America that has a temple with a thousand prostitutes. And whenever you go to church, you're with the prostitutes. And it's just known as one giant brothel. Uh-uh. There isn't anything like Corinth. And when Paul wrote Corinth, he listed those terrible sins, fornication, adultery, and sodomy, effeminacy. They had it all in that pagan, lascivious city. And he said, such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. The Lord's Supper. You know, we're going to look at a cup that represents blood. It should be yours and mine. It's His. We're going to take a piece of bread. It should be your torn body and mine. It's His. So great is the forgiveness of God and so great is this glorious part of Him that while hanging on the cross, having suffered through an unjust trial, He prayed for God to forgive those that were at the foot of that cross. That is overwhelming forgiveness. You shall never hear of your sins or trespasses again in an illegal way because their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. That is a term of the new covenant which we're about to celebrate. May the Lord bless us to be as merciful as Stephen who followed the Lord Jesus Christ and said, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Can we be that forgiving because of 10,000 talents that have been lifted from us by the grace, the exceeding abundant grace of God and the blood of Jesus Christ?